And now we're going to be continuing in our series on the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 91 this morning. And so if you're able, please turn there and then stand with me as we read God's word together. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is God's word. You may have a seat as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we praise you this morning as we read your word, as we look to the promises found within. You are such a faithful God. That which you have begun in us, you will complete. And Father, we have, yet, we have but to trust you and lean on you for, for, as our fortress and as our strength. And yet, Father, there are so many things in this world that pull for our attention, that distract us from trusting in you in the midst of difficulty or in the midst of temptation. And so, Father, we pray that you would increase our faith, increase our dependence upon you as we look to your word this morning, and that we would leave this place more dependent and at the same time more uh, confident in the protection and the, and, and the security that you provide for those who trust in Christ. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning who is not trusting in Christ, I pray that you would show them they cannot save themselves. They can do nothing to earn their salvation. They can only rest in a God who has made a way through his son's shed blood on the cross that they would repent of sin and trust in Christ. And Father, I pray that you will bless our time in your word this morning as we seek to hear from you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When we look at the first verse of Psalm 91, it reads, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide 
in the shadow of the Almighty. And as I was reading that verse this week, one of the first things that came to mind was a book titled Shadow of the Most High. It was written by a woman by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. You may have heard of her. Um, and I've, I've known about this particular book for, for quite a while, but I've never gotten around to, to reading the book for myself. And so naturally, as I began to study and work my way through Psalm 91 and, and, and think about the title of that book, it just, I, I naturally had a desire to read it. And so I sat down and I read through the book uh, this, this past week. And, and if you don't know anything about the book, Shadow of the Almighty is, is the biography of Elizabeth Elliot's husband, Jim Elliot. And you, you may have heard that name before. Some of you might not have heard the name before, but even if you haven't, I think most of us have heard the phrase, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And one of the things that Jim Elliot was known for is penning that phrase. He wrote, he wrote that phrase in, in one of his journals, and, and it's become uh, uh, quite a popular phrase among Christians. And, and I think most of us are familiar with the phrase, but we don't necessarily know much about Jim Elliot himself, even though we might know about the phrase. And, and so I just want to let you know another thing. If you're not aware of this, Jim Elliot was also known as one of five missionaries who was speared to death in the jungles of Ecuador by one of the most savage Indian tribes on the face of the earth, known as the Alka Indians. And the, the word Alka literally means savage. And so in her book, Elizabeth Elliot describes this tribe, and she, she calls them savage Stone Age killers, because no one had ever successfully made peaceful contact with the Alka before. Many had tried, and no one had ever successfully done it. And yet Jim Elliot, he was determined to reach this tribe, these people, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jim Elliot partnered with four other men, and they began flying a plane over the, the, the village in which these, these Alka Indians lived. And they would drop gifts from the plane to the Alka, and, and, and they would lean out the window and shout to the Alka that they're friendly and that they want to meet the Alka. And so they did this for weeks in a row. And, and, and then soon after that, they landed their plane on a sandbar along the Kurai River in Ecuador, nearby where the Alka lived. And for the first time, they made peaceful contact with three Alka Indians. They came out of the woods and met with these five missionaries. And and it was such a joy. Jim Elliott describes that, that time as such a joy because he had been praying for this moment. And, and he was overjoyed with the fact that they were able to, to begin to make contact with these, these people. They even took one of the Alka men on a, on a ride on their plane uh, because he seemed interested in, in what the plane was and how it worked. And so they, they even took him up on the, in the plane for, for, for a ride. And so they came home, told their wives they were ecstatic at, at the peaceful contact, at the successful contact that they had made with this tribe. 
And so then two days later, they, they, they plan to, to return back to that same sandbar and, and continue to meet with the Auka Indians. Um, and so they told their wives, we, we're going to uh, head to this sandbar. We'll radio in at 4.30 p.m. Uh, as we're about to fly out and head back home for the evening. And so be at the radio waiting and listening, and, and we'll radio in before we leave. And so 4.30 came. And then 4.30 left, and these, these wives sat at the radio waiting for, to hear from their husbands, and the radio remained silent. So a search party was sent out, and soon after, the bodies of all five men were found washed up on the shores of the Kurai River. They had all been speared to death by the very men that they had come to win for Christ. And the reason that I bring up the story of Jim Elliot is because I think that it's, it's very interesting. As I'm reading this, this biography titled Shadow of the Almighty, I thought it was very interesting that Elizabeth Elliot would title her book after a psalm that doesn't really seem to fit with her husband's experience. I mean, if you just skim with me through the psalm for a minute, I want you to look at, at what is going on here in this psalm. And so I'm just going to skip a couple verses and, and, and read here and there. But starting in verse 3, it says, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. And then skip down a little bit. Verse 5, it says, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Or in Jim Elliot's case, it was a spear rather than an arrow. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Verse 9 through 11, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And then as we move on into verse 14, the flavor of the psalm kind of begins to change because here we see God speaking. And he says in verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And then finally in verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And so as, as I was reading through the psalm and yet at the same time reading through the, 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 the book, the question kept coming back to my mind as I read. What made her choose the title for the book that she did? Why would she name her book after a psalm that seemed to contradict her husband's experience? And she gives the answer. So as you read through the book, she doesn't expound upon Psalm 91 throughout the book. And that's the reason that she titles it that way. Instead, there's this small section in the book where I think she captures the reason very clearly. She said, the world called Jim's death a nightmare of a tragedy. However, the world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim, Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so 
Elizabeth Elliot, she recognized something significant in her husband's death. And I think it's something that oftentimes we as Christians can miss. Because God had not failed in his promise to defend and protect Jim. But instead, he had been faithful to keep his promise, even though at first glance, it might not appear like that's the case. And so that's what I hope to work through together this morning as we look at Psalm 91. Because we got to answer some questions here. Does Psalm 91 mean that those who trust in God are never going to be snared and will never get disease? Does it mean that they will never fall in battle or won't ever experience evil? Does it mean that they will always be delivered and protected from harm? Because as we read through the psalm, that's what it seems like it's saying. However, one of the problems with reading the psalm that way is that that is exactly the way that Satan used the psalm when he was tempting Christ in the wilderness. And I think looking at the temptation of Christ and the way in which Satan seeks to tempt Christ using Psalm 91 will help us to get a better understanding of what actually is going on in Psalm 91. And so in Matthew chapter 4, as Christ goes out into the wilderness to fast and pray and be tempted by the devil, in verses 5 and 6 we read, Then the devil took him, and that's Jesus, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And that's a direct quote from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Satan didn't twist the words. He didn't change the words to mean something different. He's quoting exactly from those verses. And so instead of skewing the words and changing the words around, Satan takes that verse or those verses out of context. And I think what he does is he applies them in ways that I don't think they're meant to be applied. And that's why instead of throwing himself down, Jesus rebuked Satan, and then he chose to trust in his father's plan and purpose. And what was the result when Christ did that? As we see him go throughout his ministry, was he rescued from all harm? Did the father keep him from all danger? No. Thorns were placed on his head. His back was torn to pieces as it was whipped again and again and again. Nails pierced his hands and his feet as he was nailed to the cross. The spear pierced his side. And ultimately, he was crucified on the cross. And so that presents somewhat of a problem for us this morning because if we take Psalm 91 to mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen to the one who trusts in God, then the promises of Psalm 91 didn't come true even for Jesus Christ himself. And so either the psalmist didn't know what he was talking about, or there must be something deeper going on than what it might first appear as we read through Psalm 91. 
And obviously, I would say that there is something deeper going on because we can very quickly look out at the world around us and we can see that Christians do not escape every hardship unscathed. Right now, there's Christians being killed because of their faith in Christ. It's actually their trust in God, their trust in Christ that causes them to experience harm. There are Christians dying of disease, cancer, plague, heart failure. The list goes on and on and on. And so clearly, as we look out at the world around us and see the experience of Christians, it doesn't seem to fit with Psalm 91 if we take it to mean absolute physical protection. And then we look elsewhere in Scripture and we see the same thing in Scripture, that Scripture doesn't seem to fit with that understanding of Psalm 91. We actually find in Scripture somewhat of a paradox because in the same sentence, Scripture can promise us both suffering and protection. And in Romans 8, 36 and 37, it says, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so in the same breath, we're told that we are conquerors despite the fact that we are being killed all the day long. Luke 21, 16 and 18, through 18 says something very similar. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. And there's other passages in scripture that, that communicate the same thing. And these passages kind of present somewhat of a problem for us. Because how can we be put to death and yet at the same time, not a hair of our heads will perish? Or how can we be slaughtered as sheep and yet still at the same time be conquerors? And we see this in scripture. And so what we find is that there, there appears to be this tension in scripture in which God's people seem to be promised both. You are going to suffer, and yet at the same time, we find these promises of protection like we see in Psalm 91. And I think there's only one way to justify the tension. There's only one solution, and I think that solution is by looking not only with physical eyes, but to grow in our ability to look at the world around us with spiritual eyes as well. This is exactly what Christ did when he was con confronted by Satan in the wilderness, and it was exactly what led him to the cross. We see in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Can you see what's going on in this passage? Christ understood the spiritual significance behind his suffering. And he understood what that temporal suffering would ultimately accomplish. And in enduring that suffering, he gained something far greater than had he chosen the path of physical safety. And if we don't do the same, if we only look out at the world around us with physical eyes, then passages like Psalm 91 become deeply disappointing passages because bad stuff happens. We experience calamity. We experience physical suffering. And so there's a passage like Psalm 91 becomes almost discouraging as we look out at the world around us and we, then we look through Psalm 91 and we say, this isn't matching up. God, you have failed in your promises However, when we open our eyes to see greater realities at work in this world, then we can see how Christ was absolutely protected. Although he tasted the sting of death because of our sin, the Father faithfully kept his promise to raise Christ from the dead. And in doing so, Christ's shed blood and his broken body secured for him an eternal glory. And his sacrifice secures for us also eternal reward. And so we have to be careful when we come to, to psalms or passages in scripture like Psalm 91. Because it may be tempting for us to read the psalm and then we expect that God promises ultimate protection from all circumstances. And yet the Bible makes it very, very clear. We may or we may not be delivered from that physical harm. However, even if we aren't, we know that physical harm will only hasten us to the eternal reward that Christ has secured on our behalf. And so as we think about that, one of the things that, that I thought might be uh, tempting is for you to hear what I'm saying and think that, that I am saying that we cannot and should not trust God for physical protection as well. That's not what I'm saying. He can and he absolutely does oftentimes miraculously save his people from harm. We see this all over scripture. We see it in the experience of God's people throughout history. Daniel was saved from the lion's den. David was saved time and time again as he was on the run from Saul, as he was on the run from his son Absalom. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved miraculously from the fiery furnace. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and brought safely to shore. Otherwise, he would have perished in the sea. And so we can absolutely turn to the Lord in the face of physical harm, whether it's sickness, whether it's injury, whatever it may be. But the point that I'm trying to make this morning is that there's a very big difference between asking God for protection and trusting him with the outcome Versus demanding God's protection as if his lack of protection physically in any particular moment means that he has failed us in some way. 
And that's exactly how Satan wants us to look at the psalm. He wants us to put God to the test. That's exactly what he did with Christ in the wilderness. And yet Jesus understood the intention of the psalm. And that led him not actually away from physical harm, but straight into the face of it for the sake of something far greater. And so we need to understand Psalm 91 differently than what it might first appear The psalmist here, he proclaims guarantee of safety for God's people. Not because he didn't know what he was talking about, but instead because he felt an absolute hope in God's rule and care over our lives as his people. No harm comes to the Christian except that which God's love permits. And even that physical harm which may come upon us will not ultimately conquer the one who's trusting in Christ. And what it means is that evil will not ultimately, in its ultimate sense, touch us. And we see examples of this all over scripture. I think Paul uh, is a wonderful example of what this looks like. Time and time and time again, we see in scripture, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He goes into the face of persecution. He's beaten because of his faith in Christ. And he walks away rejoicing that he was counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Not not yelling at God because God didn't protect him, but counted worthy to suffer for this. We see this over and over and over in in the life of Paul. And as I was thinking about this week, uh, about that this week, I came across uh, 2 Timothy 4.18. And what I learned in my study is that this was actually some of the last words that, of Scripture that Paul ever wrote. Second Timothy is uh, widely held to be the last epistle that was written by Paul before his death. And Second Timothy 4.18 is one, some of the last words of that particular epistle. And we read in that verse, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. What's interesting about that is that shortly after is when Paul was beheaded by the emperor Nero. And so once again, we're back to the problem. If we're not thinking with spiritual eyes, it leads us right back to the same problem that we have before. Because at first glance, it seems that Paul wasn't rescued at all. He was killed. He was beheaded because of his faith in Christ. But when we look with spiritual eyes, we find that Paul was indeed rescued, but in the fullest sense of the word, as God brought him safely into his heavenly kingdom. Can you see what I'm getting at this morning? It is impossible, it is impossible for anything to break through God's protective grasp. Disease, broken bones will not thwart the plan for God's people, God's plan for his people. Death itself cannot overcome the protective hand of God upon the one whose hope is in the Lord. But it doesn't always look the way that we think it does if we're, if we're, Uh, in the habit of looking only with physical eyes. In some mysterious way, God often uses physical harm, often uses 
death and disease, whatever it may be, for our benefit as well as for the benefit of others. And as I was thinking about that this week, I came across a quote by Charles Spurgeon that he writes in his commentary on the Psalms. And he has this to say about Psalm 91. And it's such a good summary that I couldn't say it any better. And so I want to read this to you. Spurgeon says, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is not ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him for everything. Everything is overruled for good. Happy is he who is in such a case. He is secure where others are in peril. He lives where others die. And yet, as we think about that, I think one of the struggles that I anticipate, because I know I struggle with this, and, and one of the reasons that it's difficult for us to read the psalm in this sense at first glance is because we are a people who long to feel protected and safe from physical harm. I mean, if you think about it, we carry, we, we, some of us, not all of us, carry guns for protections from evildoers. And yet, we neglect to wield the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, to protect us against the attacks of the devil. We run away from physical harm, and yet we so often fail to flee the spiritual temptation that comes knocking at our door. We go in for our routine physicals to make sure there's nothing wrong with us physically, and yet we neglect to routinely search our own hearts and allow God's word to be a mirror which shines light on the sin in our lives that so easily entangles us. We put locks on our doors. We set up alarm systems. We, we use seat belts and airbags and helmets and we wear face masks. And the list goes on and on and on. And as I say that, I'm not saying that those things are wrong. Those are good things. We're not called to be reckless with our lives. And so we should seek to protect ourselves. However, because we're so physically minded as people, we often stop there. And because of that, we miss what is lurking much deeper below the surface. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God does not guarantee ultimate protection from those who kill the body. But he does guarantee that nothing will ever separate us from his love. And so the promise that God makes to his people in Psalm 91, and, and we find the same promise throughout the rest of scripture, is our ultimate security 
It's the promise that no matter what happens in this world, our Father holds us in his hand and he is working in the midst of life's greatest dangers for our ultimate good. So Psalm 91, it doesn't promise that the worst this world has to offer is not going to happen to God's people. As a matter of fact, we see that oftentimes the worst that this world has to offer happens to God's people. But what it does promise is that if and when those things happen, we are not alone and we are ultimately never destroyed. And so the safety that we receive from God doesn't mean there's not going to be great pain, but that ultimately our sorrow is going to be turned to eternal joy in Christ. Jesus says this to his disciples in John 16 as he's speaking to them about these things. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he gives this example, and I think it's a wonderful illustration. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. This is what Psalm 91 is proclaiming. And we see this in the very example of Christ. He experienced great physical pain. Even more than that, he experienced the turmoil of bearing our sins on his shoulders as he was forsaken by the Father. And yet Christ looked with spiritual eyes as he clung to the joy that was set before him because he understood the deeper significance behind the truth found in, in, in Scripture like we see in Psalm 91. And he looked to the greater prize that he would gain, even if it cost him his life. And so as we wrap things up, I want you to see that Psalm 91, ultimately, Christ is, is the example. And, yet, and, and at the same time, Psalm 91 ultimately finds its fulfillment in Christ. We're only able to abide in the shadow of the Almighty only as we abide in Jesus. We dwell in the shelter of the Most High by taking shelter by faith in God's Son. And so our, our, our desire as people for this enduring sense of safety and security was not meant to be found in the things of this world, but instead it was meant to be found in God our fortress through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that God's promise of angels guarding him wouldn't keep him from the cross. And so instead, he went to the cross because he knew that the Father would raise him up again. He knew that he would have to endure the pain and the suffering and the shame, but he also knew there was eternal joy to be secured, not only for himself, but also for those who trust in him. And so as we think about that, I think it's important to recognize that many of the Psalms are wonderful prayers for this life, but they're promises only in their fullest sense when we 
get to eternity. And I think Psalm 91 is one of those psalms. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a prayer which beckons God's people to trust in the Lord. And yet we recognize that we will not fully experience the protection that is promised until we enter into eternal rest with God in glory. We can abide in the shadow of the Almighty knowing that even if we aren't delivered from physical harm, our reward is great in heaven. And so this is, as we, were, as we read through Psalm 91, I would even encourage you, go back and read through it and look with spiritual eyes at the psalm and rejoice that no matter what may happen in this life, we can rest sure that our reward is great in heaven and that it is secured for us and we cannot lose it because God is our fortress, because God is our sustainer, because God will bring us home. Let's pray. Father, we recognize the temptation to look to the things of this world. We think of the pandemic and how quickly we focus on the physical, the science behind it, how, how, how quickly it can spread, how contagious it is, whatever it may be. And yet we fail to look with spiritual eyes and see the things that you are doing in the midst of this physical pandemic. There are spiritual realities taking place. There's a war going on. And it's not a physical one. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us to look with spiritual eyes. Father, we pray also that as we go out into the world this week, that you would teach us what this looks like in day-to-day -day life. That as we, as we go about work, as we have conversations with people, as we experience physical hardship, teach us the true meaning of Psalm 91. Let it be a prayer that fuels our hearts with joy because we know that you have secured for us eternal security, eternal rest. Father, help us in these things, we pray. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.